We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 192, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network and sponsored betonline.ag. It's Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, he's Frances Tomas, and I don't know about you, Frances, but football has taken the first step to coming back. I'm all in on the ESPN Michael Jordan documentary, and we also have a gigantic guest coming up on today's show. So to say that I'm a bit jazzed up for today's show might be an understatement. Hola Dan, hola Gules. Yeah, we've been doing the podcast for three years and today I am hyper hyped. I don't know if that's a word in English, but uh, actually it's not a word in Spanish either. Um, I could not be any more excited for the show today. Let's get started. Right. So instead of talking about Barcelona being back in training, Sam Utiti's injury and all of that stuff, we're not going to waste any more time. Let's get to that interview. Today on the show, we have the pleasure of being joined by a Champions League winner, a two-time Dutch Footballer of the Year, five-time Eredivisie winner, a World Cup semifinalist, and a La Liga champion with FC Barcelona. It's Ronald DeVoer. Thank you so much for joining the show. I know it's unusual times, obviously, with everything going on in the world, but we do really appreciate you taking the time. You're welcome. Thank you, Dan. Well, first off, before we get to the FC Barcelona stuff, I do need to ask about the team that you are most associated with, the one that you're currently with, obviously, that being part of arguably the most famous group of players that Ajax ever produced, a young group that upset AC Milan, one nothing in that Champions League final in 1995, Patrick Kluivert becoming the youngest player ever to score in a Champions League final. I know you know all the stats. As young as that group was, where did all that self-belief come from? Yeah, I think it grew in uh, then it grew... Uh... Gradually uh, during the like the the games that we played, uh, the first uh, the group stage, then uh, the, the quarterfinal, semi, and the, and the final, we didn't really be, uh, knew where we were standing at that uh, point of time because it was totally new for everybody. Only Frank Rijkaard was the only one with a lot of experience, and uh, Danny Blind a little bit, uh, the father of uh, Daily Blind. Uh, he had some experience, but not more than that in the Champions League. Or uh, at that time, it was still uh, called the Europa Cup one. Uh, and that year, they announced it to Champions League. So for us, it was uh, 
a jump in the in deep water basically and we had, we had no uh, no idea what we were facing and how good the opponents were but of course the first start against Milan uh, and they were the current champion we uh, we beat them 2-0 with very good football we deserved the, the, the win completely and yeah that was of course the beginning but still then you think okay maybe they were underestimating us. They thought, oh, we're a champion and uh, we can still uh, do the job. Uh, maybe not focused enough. But then I think, yeah, we showed also in the other games that mm, we're not so bad. And every time we thought, oh, that's a great opponent. And then we played against uh, that uh, team. And then, yeah, they weren't so strong as we thought they were. Well, through Johan Cruyff and many others, the connection between Ajax and Barcelona still so strong. So as you work with the next generation of stars, as you're currently doing, do you still see the connections in what both clubs are trying to teach? Oh, yeah, of course. I mean, uh, the I think the, the philosophy is throughout uh, the whole club. Eh? So it starts with the youngsters. I think the, there's the foundation and eh? the pillars of, uh, of your philosophy. Eh? The, you let boys play like you think they should play. And, and search for players that have like a DNA in Barcelona DNA or an Ajax DNA. And I think if you see the players coming through, most of the time you can directly identify that's a, a, an Ajax player or that's a Barcelona player. And they're similar styles. So it's always uh, uh, the ball on your feet, uh, with your brain, uh, technical, uh, playing as a team. I think uh, all those things, aspects... Uh, I think you see back uh, also now we have because I'm very much involved in the youth academy in Ajax and I see that still, uh, yeah, is still throughout the the club and we we have some great talents coming through and you think yeah that that's only uh, happening uh, at Ajax and in Barcelona. Exactly, exactly, and there are many similarities as well in terms of what Ajax has always done and what Barca have traditionally done. It was more evident in our eyes uh, when you were there. And, and the years yeah. after as well. Um, how important is it, especially in these coronavirus times and financial times that we're going through, for a team to promote from within? Exactly. I mean, that's uh, the point that you're now making. I think is very important that uh, it will affect uh, a lot of clubs uh, financially. So they're not so able, uh, so easy to uh, to buy players. So you lo you look then probably in your own uh, backyard what you have. But I think it should be always like that. You should always look because I think Ajax and Barcelona, the Cantera, La Masia, has always been so important for uh, for the club. Uh, if you see the the last ten years, the decade, uh, the most uh, or the best player come through the, the youth system. And I think you have to believe in that. The only thing different now with Ajax and Barcelona is that Ajax is still continue doing that. Of course, Ajax is also is healthy and they sometimes change a little bit the, the philosophy to buy some exceptional players, but still the youth get a lot of uh, possibilities to uh, uh, to show themselves. Barcelona is less. I understand also because the, the importance uh, uh, what is on stake is it's bigger than, uh, than uh, the Ajax. Eh? Barcelona has to win the Champions League, has to be champion of uh, of, uh, of Spain. So they're looking for if there is a, a good player in the youth, they can directly imp implement in the team. If it's not available, we buy somebody else who can. It's a shame in one way because I think you have to have, yeah, I say it uh, strongly, the balls to do so. Eh? To, uh, <laughs> to have the belief that you uh, that the youngster that we train and where we work so many years with, 
they can do it. Because most of the time what happens is that because they have the understanding of what it is to be as the, the philosophy, they adapt very easily, the youngsters. Mm -hmm. It's not that they come in a totally different environment. No, they know how the Barcelona is, play, uh, is playing all those years already because uh, they implement the same system at, at the younger age. So I think what and what I think is also very important that you saw it with my brother, you see it, you saw it with Luis Enrique, you saw it with uh, mm -hmm. Guardiola, with Rijkaard. They always been affected by the, the academy. Uh, once uh, my brother trained uh, the under 12 and the under 19 mm -hmm. uh, for many years. Pep did the second team. Uh, Luis Enrique and uh, the same. So they uh, know what's what's going on there. Uh, so mm -hmm. they, have the, they have a very close bond with uh, with the youth, and they see oh. I see some youngsters. I want to give them a chance, and then you see what happened uh, with uh, with those uh, youngsters. And I think that is a bit lacking now. What Barcelona is doing, giving the boys uh, a chance, and they they get other coaches who come from outside, and uh, it's understandable. They have an, a, a view from players from outside, not really from inside, and that's uh, basically what I think the 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 board of uh, of Barcelona has to, yeah, almost. Implement. I want every year two, three players giving a chance to make the, the debut. I think that is important. But can you be that strong? Because I know what I said. There is so much at stake, of course, with Barcelona. No, of course, and it always comes from the very top as well. And as, as you are mentioning, yeah. it is all about whoever's leading the club, and not necessarily just the coach, but from from the very top. And obviously, at Barca, we've got elections coming up soon. Um, yeah. Most likely, not be this season. Will be next season. But it's all about what what philosophy they've got. Now, yeah. obviously, being from from Ajax, from Amsterdam yourself, um, we've got someone from Holland playing currently in our team. That's Frankie, yeah. Frankie de Jong. Yeah. Um, obviously, a player that was extraordinary for Ajax um, coming through, particularly yeah. last year, and he's playing for us this year. He's got, in yeah. our in our opinion, he's got all the makings of a fantastic player. But um, what else do you think he needs to do to blossom? In the way that he did at Ajax at Barca. Well, let it put it this way: I think for a youngster to come uh, in a team as Barcelona and play so many games his first year, I think that's exceptional. Uh, so uh, people still think, okay, he didn't uh, touch the level what he did with Ajax uh, the last few months that he played in the Champions League and uh, uh, what we saw with the Dutch team. But I think uh, it's not for many given to play so many games at Barcelona, who's still an unbelievable strong team. And be a regular, so I think he did okay. Because, for example, Matthijs de Ligt, who who went to Juve, he had more trouble to uh, to start. And I I thought I was almost sure that the uh, of de Ligt Matthijs could adapt very easily, quickly, and be a regular. But it was the other way around. So I think uh, he did very well his first season. Mm -hmm. Although it was not ending, but he, he did okay. And uh, I think now again the. The, the players understand his quality, the coach, of course. And I think I, sometimes I saw him almost left winger or right winger. That's, of course, not the, the spot. But he can still do it. He's a team player and uh, he, he will, will uh, roll off his uh, sleeve and, and work uh, his butt off. So uh, he's a great character. And I know for sure he will succeed. And uh, hopefully uh, he, he becomes uh, a, a regular on his favorite spot eh, because he's a distributor and he wants to give the passes mm -hmm. and you can't ask for Frankie de Jong to, to score 20 goals because uh, he's not like that. Eh, mm -hmm. He's never been that. He's like 
a guy who opens up, create uh, an extra man on the midfield. And uh, uh, even when you're on the pressing, you can turn away and then you can play on. It's like a bit like Busquets always did. And yeah, he has to now, of course, two Busquets in the team is sometimes too much, in my opinion. And of course, they can play each, uh, with each other, but it's similar type. So I think uh, in a certain time, he will probably, because uh, he's getting older, Busquets, uh, hey, he was my all-time favorite on that spot. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I think if uh, if the time comes, I think he can be a great replacement for uh, Busquets. Mm-hmm. Well, thinking back to your time playing at the Camp Nou in Barcelona, when you were on the team, what are some of the memories that stand out? And obviously, we already mentioned that you did win a Liga. Uh, of course, the start. I mean, uh, I scored with my debut against Benidorm, although it was Benidorm. But it was I was there, Phil. I was there. I was. I was. And a header from uh, Figo, cross from Figo, and uh, I scored uh, the the zero one, and uh, that uh, is always nice to start. And then the second game was uh, El Clasico uh, in uh, in Camp Nou. And uh, we won three zero, and it was. Uh, we I think Frank and I were announced as uh, uh, player uh, match uh, man of the match uh, together that game. So it was nice. So it, uh, it was a great start, and uh, uh, I, yeah, great memories uh, uh, at that time. I mean, if I look back to those uh, almost two years, not everything was satisfy uh, satisfaction, uh, of course, because. I think the moment that I uh, really got my spot and I, I uh, played every game, uh, I got injured uh, badly on my groin. That took me like almost two and a half, three months uh, uh, to get fit again. And then, yeah, I lost basically all the, the nice matches, like the semi-final of Champions League, semi-final of uh, Copa, the final of the league. So that was a shame. And then, of course, uh, Van Gaal got uh, sacked. And oh, exactly. he stepped up because of with Nunez, and then yeah, uh, yeah there was a new idea about uh, uh, yeah uh, the team uh, how we uh, get the team uh, organized, and that was uh, a lot of uh, Dutch guys had to get rid of, and the one was uh, me because I didn't feel the confidence of the of the coach, but that happens. But uh, so. Personally, like uh, I, I, I was not really happy because uh, I think at uh, the moment that I really showed who was Ronald the Boer uh, at that time, and we, we did very well, uh, and I was playing finally well. I got injured, so that, uh, that yeah, that that always gives you bad taste in your mouth, and still think, yeah, what if if, if I was staying fit? But uh, that happens. Uh, but uh, those still those two years, uh, I had a, yeah, a wonderful uh, time in Barcelona. Well, from someone who was in the stadium at the time and watched the whole of that season, I can say that for not for one second without your commitment. And uh, it was a pleasure to have you to have you in our team. Um, I've got a question a little bit different. So basically, you played with fantastic players along your years. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned several, Kloiver, Rivaldo, etc. In Barca at the moment, we've got Messi, who, you know, is a little bit good. I'm sure we will agree yeah. with that. What is the secret to play alongside these world-class superstars? Because I'm, I'm talking in terms of spacing, in terms of understanding each other's games. Um, the clear example is being David Villa, who had to accommodate himself to to allocate Messi, because Messi basically yeah. does what he wants. Um, so yeah. in your in your eyes, what what is the the key? What is the secret to be successful alongside of one of these world class superstars? I think the key is, of course, that a, a coach has to find a, like a puzzle that uh, that that makes him 
uh, uh, comes in in his strength. Uh, Messi comes in his strength, so he can do the thing that he's good in. Is and and that is so exceptional. So you have to get him always in that position where he can ex uh, be uh, ex uh, what do you say that. Uh, uh, be excellent. So for me, that is uh, the key of a good coach. And of course, you have to find a balance because uh, you can't only, and that's happened now a little bit uh, uh, with uh, with with Messi. You can't always give everything to him. Hey? Like with Neymar, for example, then you have to also, uh, as an opponent, have to figure out hey, how we could stop Neymar. So it's always a balance. Hey? And uh, I think that is uh, important that you find it, but you have to get him in his yeah, best possible way uh, on the ball. And I think that is uh, what you have to do, and uh, you have to accept that he have a little bit, uh, yeah, uh, a side role in being creative. Basically, I still you have to be creative. Don't get me wrong, but uh, if you see Iniesta and Xavi, there were always also guys who were giving the ball. Eh? They, they they don't score like twenty goals or uh, but they are giving the forwards uh, the, the ball and they will do something uh, excellent. And that is something you have to, as a coach, uh, have to look uh, for. For example, if, if my forwards score, and what happened uh, many times in Barcelona with Messi and, uh, and Suarez and maybe Henri was there or uh, Neymar or whatever, mm-hmm. you can count already with your fingers, okay, they score both uh, or those three or maybe those four, eh, because sometimes they uh, have another player on the bench who can score goals. That's for sure 80 goals together. Eh? So you don't need midfielders, a few midfielders who can score goals, but not too much, eh, because you have already so many uh, guys who can score a goal. But if you only Messi who scored like 20 or 30 goals, and the other two, maybe only five, yeah, then you have a problem. Excellent. Where the, uh, the other goals come from? I think that balance is a bit lost now a little bit, eh, because... You don't have midfielders who score. Not to, the front also are only Messi is still continue scoring. But you see, you need also from the other side a little bit. And I think that mm-hmm. is uh, what uh, what yeah what a manager has to look for or a coach uh, that balance. And uh, but for me, uh, Messi is the yeah the the best I ever seen in my life. Of course, I don't see uh, Pele and Maradona too much. Of course, I see the highlights. But for me, Messi is. Uh, Far out number one. If you if you play for so many years on that uh, level, then uh, yeah, you're exceptional, and uh, it's always uh, we're, we we can praise ourselves that we're lucky that we live in this area to, uh, to witness this uh, life. Well, that is certainly music to our ears, Ronald. And you know we've gone this far, but you and your twin brother Frank were both pretty good players as well. So. Before I let you go, I have to ask about your brother Frank. He's been a head coach now for yes. a, about a decade. Do you think his philosophies and approaches have changed as he's taken on different challenges, either well, obviously starting out with Ajax as, yeah. as their manager, Inter Milan, Crystal Palace, and now yeah. I watch a lot of MLS and Atlanta United as yeah. well. Uh, I, I think his philosophy about football, his idea is still about how we've been growing up with Ajax. So he wants to implement, but he's not crazy, of course. Uh, if you have Messi in the team and uh, some other players in, it's easier to play a little sort of attacking football than than you have uh, yeah lesser players with less quality, and I think so. You have to find out what do I have uh, in my hand? What can I do to make this team win game? Because that's finally you want to do. And so he he changed in that idea that you can't be only like blinded and uh, hey, I'm gonna attack, 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 and you don't have the quality in front. So he's 
he's for me a conservative and looking from where, what can I do with his team? Of course, his first intention is to to entertain the public. Well, that, it's important that people want to come to the stadium and see some uh, nice games because that is football is all about in my eyes, and that's what you want to do. But also, in the other hand, you have to in your back of your mind that it's uh, it's all about also about winning and winning give confidence, and then people will uh, also appreciate and then you can build on to be uh, more attractive and I think that is what he's learned and also what he learned is basically that at Ajax uh, everything is so well organized and uh, mm. everybody knows uh, what what a coach uh, does especially on the pitch but for example with Crystal Palace you're more a manager that's why they call it in England a manager you're more a manager than like a coach and that you have to learn a little bit as a, i think as a my brother had to learn a little bit that they ask different things about you uh, about you uh, as a as a as a coach as a manager and i think that is your learning and now enjoying time in, in atlanta of course and i think he had a, g- a great first uh, season so hopefully he can continue uh, the, to do so but uh, yeah i think he get wiser every year and learning uh, from his mistakes or uh, or, or learning from, oh, I, next year I'm going to do this, or uh, every half year you evaluate uh, your uh, what we, uh, did go wrong or and good. So I think he's uh, he, he's not so stubborn enough to think uh, he knows everything. So uh, yeah, he's still uh, young, although we're going to turn uh, Friday 50 years old. So uh, mm-hmm. we're halfway, <laughs> you could say so. Well, a happiest birthday from us. Yes. And we also want to thank, thank you. you again. Not only happy birthday, but thank you so, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I know we definitely learned a lot as well, Ronald. You're welcome. Thank you, guys. With currently no NBA, NHL, or MLB, you might think there's nothing to bet on. Well, you'd be wrong. Our exclusive partner, Bet Online, still has hundreds of events, games, and props to wager on. From their online casino to poker and blackjack, they're bringing Vegas to you. Missing the NFL? No problem. Bet Online has live daily Madden NFL 20 simulations you can bet on. You can still bet on Survivor, Big Brother, American Idol, stock prices, and even the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest. All open 24 hours a day and all online. Go to betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to join today and receive your new welcome bonus. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? Get to bluechew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. BlueChew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Now back to the show. All right, Frances, that was some great stuff by Ronald DeBoer. I feel like we were picking his brain, going back in time. And the rest of this show, we're going to continue to go back in time. Maybe talk about a little bit of the present. But I, before we talk about Lionel Messi, Michael Jordan, and get into our very, very fun and exciting GOAT conversation that we're going to get into. I want to go all the way back to the 1992 Dream Team. This has been featured in the Michael Jordan documentary that you and I have both been enjoying on ESPN. It was a few weeks ago now, but the 1992 Dream Team was a landmark moment for all of basketball history, and maybe you could say all of global sports history, with the 
NBA players returning to the Olympics, going to Barcelona, where the Olympics were held in 1992. I want to mention very quickly, before we talk about the Dream Team, that Pep Guardiola, as a player, as a young player, winds up winning a gold medal with the Spain U23s, if you will, at the Camp No. Pep Guardiola, a gold medalist, and that is not even what's spoken about when we talk about the Olympics happening in Barcelona in 1992. Also on that team, the gold medal winning squad, I should mention, Luis Enrique, Albert Ferrer, Abelardo, and Kiko, longtime Atletico Madrid player. So that was the undercard, if you will, going on at the camp. No, because all the action at the time, obviously, was surrounding what was happening with basketball. It wasn't just when the U.S. started things by blowing out Angola or the two victories over Croatia. It was just all-encompassing these stars, the greatest stars in the world. Michael Jordan as the not even peak Air Jordan at the moment, but he was at the almost the height of his marketability as what we were seeing of what was happening in the world. Magic Johnson, Larry Bird at the end of his time. It was just so many stars descending on Barcelona. And it's so funny to me, Frances, because there was a, a young man, well, I guess you could say he was a kid at the time, who was living just outside Barcelona, who I would love to ask about what he was doing in 1992 as the Olympics were going on around him. Well, I was probably chasing girls in the playground, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> is what most Spanish boys do at that age. Yeah, no, um, I remember the city changing. Uh, I think 1992 was sort of the culmination of what Barcelona became. There was this slogan that was Barcelona posad guapa, which means Barcelona make yourself look pretty. And uh, I would say... Five, six years before the Olympics actually started, there was um, the whole city was changing. There was new areas created, for example, the, the La Vila Olimpica and all of that area that still goes by that name th th these days. And um, it was a revolution. There was a lot of investment coming from the central Spanish government. Um, I probably want to say for the first time ever, really. Um, infrastructure changed. Uh, the, the airport was expanded. And there was a huge buzz around the city. I mean... Having Johan Cruyff leading the first team at Barca obviously had ignited a lot of energy into the club and into the city in itself. Um, obviously, knowing that Michael Jordan, Magic, Bird, etc. were going to come to the Olympics was another influx of energy. And there was a huge buzz around the whole city and everything was changing. And, you know, we just knew that it was going to be a life changing moment, not just for Barcelona or Catalonia or even Spain, but for the world. Um, I think that we made ourselves proud. Uh, the, the opening ceremony was like nothing that had ever been seen before. And from a sporting perspective, there's a lot of great moments. I mean, the one that everyone's talking about, and obviously, especially these days with the last dance, and, and rightly so, is Michael Jordan's eruption. But I still remember Charles Barkley from that time. He was like, the controversial figure that people, you know, they, especially during the time, they, they, he was like the buddy that, that people love to hate. And then obviously, the, as you mentioned, the gold medal from Guardiola and, and the rest of the Spanish team, um, Spain winning a gold medal at the Camp No, that I don't think will ever happen again, to be honest, for any competition, year alone the Olympic Games. So yeah, understandably, I think it was a, a very exciting time. Personally, um, I was around 11 or 12 years old at the time, and everything happened, um, and everything came, and then everything went. But I remember that summer... Um, we were at the epicenter of the whole world. Um, my local hometown actually had the shooting range, sort of all modeled up and, and inaugurated for the shooting trials to, to happen there. And that's the only, unfortunately, it's going to be a downer for everyone listening. But unfortunately, that's the only bit of the Olympics that I actually attended. That was the shooting in my home, my home ground. 
And um, it was also on the first day of the Olympics, I remember. So there was a lot of anticipation right after the opening ceremony. Um, then I, I was watching the whole of the Olympics pretty much in giant screens around the city. Um, there was a huge sense of community. There was a huge sense of occasion. And um, it was it was just legendary. Um, not, and I also want to say this before we go or we move on. Um, I really attended the Paralympics in full. So I was going to the Paralympic Games every day. Um, I think the fact that we got free tickets as a family uh, through my brother playing football and obviously a bit of myself as well um, had an influence on that. But I remember the Paralympic Games much more vividly than the Olympics because I attended them all. But I really want to give a shout out um, to the Paralympic Games and everything they represent. And uh, in 2012, I was in London for the 2012 Olympics. And uh, it, the, the same thing applies. The, the Paralympics really, to me, I know that I know the actual Olympics are sort of the epicenter of world sports, but the Paralympics to me are even more emotional. Yeah, certainly a great event and great events. Should I? It's not just one event for the Paralympics. I, I completely agree with you, Francis, there. Uh, yeah, and it was, it was great to hear about all that. And you mentioned Charles Barkley. I remember one of my first memories of a commercial was Charles Barkley, I am not a role model, when he was playing the bad guy. And you're right, that 1992, from all the footage that we've I mean, I've watched every game that the U.S. played from the 1992 Olympics, you know, being on NBA TV or uh, ESPN Classics through the years, and them showing all of that footage. Charles Barkley was arguably the best player on the U.S. team. I mean, he was phenomenal at the Olympics, and even they they touched on it. But I remember watching almost that whole documentary on NBA TV about the scrimmage that the, even that the U.S. team had had, the, the energy that existed just from such an event like that. Having You're talking about the great stars like Michael Jordan and that entire team, other than poor Christian Leitner. But he was a star at Duke. I mean, he was I mean, like Duke-Kentucky was one of the most famous games that ever happened. But anyway, for... The rest of this show, we are getting into Michael Jordan and Lino Messi. And I think before we even start the segment, Frances, I want to just throw to you that I, I would say that we're both in agreement that Michael Jordan is the greatest basketball player of all time and Lino Messi is the greatest soccer or football player of all time. Are you and I in agreement before we even start the segment? We do agree, but I want to say that Kobe Bryant is my Jordan. Um, I actually remember Kobe more than Jordan growing up. Um, obviously, I am a little bit younger than when Jordan started, which obviously was 1984. So for me, special mention to Kobe before we speak about Mike. Yeah, and I have to say for myself, even as far as seeing the, them live, I mean, everybody who's been listening to this pod for more than a minute knows that Frances and I are both huge basketball heads as well. But my first memory was the 1995 NBA Finals with the Rockets and a very young, well, not even a very young, three years in the league, Shaquille O'Neal for the Magic was really my first basketball memory. So I remember the second three-peat, but I have no memory of the playing of the first one, unfortunately, the 91, 92, and 93 seasons for the Bulls. Again, I even remember hearing at a very young age that Michael Jordan was playing baseball. So, I mean, how about that? How about that for a memory? My first memories are Michael Jordan, the baseball player, which is an absurd thing to say <laughs> because obviously he's a basketball player and he embodies basketball. So, and I understand your point about Kobe Bryant. And I've said, I've been partial to Steve Nash. He was my favorite player because when I was playing in whatever it was in high school and all those things that it was, my, my guy was Steve Nash. He was a point guard. He was tiring everyone. He, you know, felt like I had to scrap for every ball. And that was my guy. But when it comes to, again, the GOAT conversation, we watched Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, everything he was, he took from Michael Jordan. And that was his love of basketball and intensity about basketball and just being the best. And, and I think the way to start with this 
segment, Frances. I, I don't I actually was gonna do what I do and I was gonna go into the stats and go into the numbers and try to explain to you why Michael Jordan with his highest scoring average in a season and Lionel Messi with all the goals that he scored greater than every other player for Barca, but also every other player in the world. I, I was gonna give you stats upon stats, but these are guys that they don't actually need the stats because there are advanced metrics and all those different things that uh, that are just so much greater than everybody around them, particularly for the time period that they are in. And the only way to even try to find other guys that compare in this conversation to who is the greatest of all time in those sports were guys that played in different eras, right? Because if you, if you look at the eras in which they played, there was no question. All of their peers, everybody around them, I'm not even talking about Cristiano Ronaldo here, but everybody else around them admits they are the greatest player that is in the game right now as they were playing actively, but they are also probably the greatest player of all time. And by the age of 25, Messi was already doing things that the Ballon d'Or wins and not even the Champions League, but individually, some of his highlight reels were more than players had for decades and decades of playing. Entire teams, entire clubs could come out with their highlight reels and they don't match what Messi had done before the age of 25. And Jordan's almost the same way. By the time he wins that first Repeat. He's he's what thirty years old at the time, and or or less than that. What he's twenty eight, twenty nine when he when he finishes that first threepeat, and yet people are already saying this guy is going to go down in history as maybe the greatest player of all time. And I think for those two, where we begin this conversation, I think Frances is just living these guys and knowing that you were in greatness before they hit at the age of thirty, knowing that they were already in the the Mount Rushmore for their sports and arguably the greatest player to play those sports by an early age, I think was, is indicative of why or, and where this conversation begins. Yeah, totally agreed. I think for me, the decisive factor, and of course, you know, they, they're scoring, they're, they're assisting in terms of Messi, the rebounding, the steals, the defensive player of the year accolades that Jordan um, gathered throughout his career. They are relevant, but I think to me, the most relevant part is that they made their teams winning teams. And especially in Jordan's case, you can see that the year he wasn't there, the Bulls weren't that brilliant. The second he comes back, they become a contender again. And, you know, I was watching the, the Last Dance the other day and I kept thinking, Messi's going to have a documentary like this at some point. And people do not really quite understand how lucky they are to have witnessed either the majority or most of Messi's career. You know, we are living and i know we're in the dying years now uh, you know i keep saying this but i think in two three seasons time probably two seasons time messi's gone uh, either retired or gone as in the dominant player that that we remember now especially playing up front so i think that we need to count our lucky stars um, this is a player that graduated from our la masia uh, he spent six seven years forming himself he was already an extraordinary youngster when he came from Argentina. But the thing is, there are many extraordinary youngsters at that age. And it's just the the, the sacrifice, the, the eagerness for improvement, the willingness to always learn, listen to feedback. Obviously, he was surrounded by probably the best youth community and the, the youth system in any sports around the world, which was La Masia in the early 2000s and in the late 1990s as well. And all, all the stars aligned for Messi to be who he is today. Obviously, nothing has been given to him. It's all about sacrifice. It's all about hard work. But this guy is extraordinary. And in two, three years' time, this may not be happening anymore. You know, we may be watching a Barca that depends on maybe Frankie de Jong being the leader or maybe someone else that comes along. Um, we don't really know the answer. And the thing is, 
when when he's so close to someone's retirement and you know in Lionel Messi's term I didn't even want to mention this word but you know we need to be realistic when Messi retires there's going to be a huge void behind and we don't really know who's going to be the one selling the newspaper selling the t-shirt fronting the team um, in NBA terms who's a franchise player going to be absolutely no idea but being so close to retirement and still being without any shade of a doubt without question the reference for everything Barca is just remarkable. So we need to count our lucky stars and make sure that we enjoy every single minute of Messi being at our club. Yeah, this is no disrespect to Kobe and Shaq and Tim Duncan and the guys that did fill the void when it came to winning championships after Michael Jordan retired from the Bulls for the second time uh, before, spoiler for the rest of the last dance, by the way, he goes on to play for the Washington Wizards and retires for a third time. <laughs> does but, he? Really? He does, but, but I, there's, no, there's no disrespect to Shaq and Kobe uh, and, and again, Duncan and Parker and the guys who filled the void of winning championships. But until LeBron really almost comes into his own and he gets blown out in the 2007 NBA Finals. But until LeBron truly comes into his own, and maybe it takes him doing the decision, maybe it takes him really taking that heel turn into being what was a league villain to, you know, joining up with the Miami Heat to win that title and to get over that mountain. Until LeBron did that, there was a vacuum of, of the guy in the league. It could have been a bunch of different guys, especially in the mid 2000s. It could, it, depending on the year, depending on who was winning the championship, you could have argued for a bunch of different guys. But there was there was no guy where the rest of the league looked and said, "Well, that's face of the league. That is the guy." Right, and LeBron has obviously filled that void. He's number twenty-three, and uh, we can get into it. Where uh, there's a, a younger generation that's going to say, you know, it's LeBron over Jordan. But I think a lot of that's been not to say pushed to the the background for a while. But I, I think it's just different in that with LeBron, especially in today's day and age. And it's and strap in for this one, Frances, because I'm going to argue whether it's Jordan and LeBron. It's the same thing. I think when it comes to football, we're we're kind of talking about Messi and Pele, and this is again no disrespect to Maradona or or Corey for some of the other ones that come up, but Pele's scoring records, or at least the ones that he says that he scored for Santos, and then later for the Cosmos, and particularly in the in in the World Cup, Pele just like Messi just like Jordan, and LeBron gets knocked a little bit because of the 2011 NBA Finals where he lost to Dirk Nowitzki on a team that was less talented than that Heat team. But all of those teams and all those players, they're winners. I mean, Messi has lost in against Liverpool, Roma recently, and obviously you can't win every season. They get blown out by Bayern Munich that back in 2013, sure. But, I mean, Messi's a winner. Like, he, he, he wins games. Messi against Real Madrid and El Clasico, first ever hat trick, 3-3 tie, and you already knew... Messi's going to make the Santiago Bernabeu his home. And Jordan did the same thing. It didn't matter where he was playing, on the road. The guy never took a game off. He was just a winner. He embodied the sport. He embodied basketball in the way that Messi embodies football. And that's, I think, another thing in Messi's hat. Where Again, it's no disservice to Pele because Pele won at the World Cup, surrounded by really talented players for Brazil. And sure, he won for Santos. And you can only win for the with the team that you have and the games that are in front of you. And then later in his career, he... I mean, kind of was shown off in the U.S., still doing some things, banging goals for the New York Cosmos. But I think where Messi takes the edge is just to do it on the stages in which he continues to do it. I mean, the World Cup was different back then, and there's no disservice to Pele again. But, I mean, Messi has one hurdle that he's never been able to get over, right? I think he's already done his job. He's got three Champions Leagues to his name. He's done all—even he, even though he didn't play in the, first, the 06, I understand that. But, yeah, I think when you're just trying to compare guys— 
if you need somebody to win a game for you, you put the ball at the feet of Messi, uh, one guy in all of, of football history. If you need to win a basketball game in, in all of history, you put the, the ball in the hand of Michael Jordan. I, I think that's, again, another part of the argument that these guys were just winners. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah, um, I agree with everything you're saying. I just want to sort of throw a different shade into it. Um, as great as they were, they're nothing without their teams. Um, in the case of Jordan, obviously, he had along the whole way, pretty much, in, especially, in, obviously, in the Bulls, um, Scottie Pippen alongside. He knew exactly what to do and how to support, and he understood his role perfectly. Uh, but then there were great other players, especially Dennis Rodman, but then Tony Kukoc, and to a lesser extent, um, you had Paxson at the beginning, and then, obviously, Ron Harper at the end. I think with, with Messi, it's even more significant, because Jordan pretty much came out of nowhere into a 19, 1984 Bulls team that had nothing into a city that, you know, with all due respect to Chicago as a city, but from a sporting perspective in basketball, they were nowhere to be seen. And he he was the Bulls. He, he was the franchise. And, and to be honest, even to this day, you cannot throw that, you know, very angry logo of a Bull to anybody without them thinking Jordan first. Even with the color red, you just think of, of, of Jordan straight away. Um, but with Messi, obviously, he comes to Barca. They have been a, a winning team before. Granted, not to the level that they then became, especially with Messi's influence, but um, with Guardiola sort of uh, playing around and, and, and shifting all the puzzle pieces. But there were great players before Messi, such as, you know, Cruyff. Um, you can say that you had all sorts of uh, other La Masia players around him as well. Um, with Guardiola, Guillermo Amor sort of leading the way. Of course, Messi was exceptional, but what I'm trying to say is that the, the, the way for Messi was already paved by those who came before him. Um, so what he has done is taking Barca to the next level and make them, well, the, the, the household name that we, we see today. I mean, I, I was walking around Doha in Qatar, um, which is obviously where I live, um, just 15, 20 minutes ago before recording. And there's kids wearing Barca tops around. Sure, they're wearing Messi now, but the thing is, they haven't always done that. They haven't always done that. They... they they would have been wearing Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, etc. And, and Messi has brought Barca to the forefront of everyone's sports life and, and sports sort of um, love, to be honest. And my point is they're not making this alone. They have great players around them and they continue to grow based on the guidance that came from others. Um, I think in Jordan's case, it's more unique because, you know, let's face it, he didn't get much support apart from buying the right pieces for him. Uh, from his board, and uh, you can say, if you want to throw that, between Phil Jackson and, and Guardiola, the sort of clarividence of, uh, of the way forward was was quite special, and, and that's how they got guided. But I think that neither one player does it alone, but especially Jordan, in that respect, edges Messi in the sense that he's more of an individualistic player that builds things from himself. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, too, with the Bulls, because they covered this, I think, all the way back in episode one or two, that... One of Jordan's friends at the uh, way back in their in their younger years, this is in the mid '80s. One of his friends was Charles Oakley, who went on to be, you know, playing for the the Knicks and the Raptors. And he was a tough guy in the league. He was basically Jordan's enforcer in the early going, as every young player really takes their knocks. And Jordan took a lot of knocks in the '80s, of course, from the Pistons and the like. But when they shifted Oakley away for Cartwright to do what was best for the team, again, it was an individual thing. It didn't really rub Jordan necessarily the right way, but it was for the betterment of the team. And you look at 
the way that, again, we even view these guys from a commercial sense. And I was thinking a lot about if you come to this podcast to hear us trash Cristiano Ronaldo, well, if you've been listening long enough, you get it occasionally. You know, again, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is one of the top five best players ever. But when we think of him as a commercial success, there's maybe it's because he's played for Real Madrid, Manchester United, and Juventus, and Messi has just played for Barcelona. That probably has to, a lot to do with it, where just like in the modern NBA, you think of players more than you think of them associated with a team in the way that when you think, even though he played for the Wizards, again, I don't care. I, I blacked out for that. I don't remember that. So Jordan is the Bulls and Messi is FC Barcelona. And what's interesting about that is that for this documentary to show how much of a kind of a jerk that Jordan was, how much of a killer, how much he just wanted to win, how it was all about basketball above everything else. I think back to my youth and that Be Like Mike commercial that just was so enthralling. I mean, that's what every kid wanted to do. You wanted to be like Mike, of course. I mean, I had one pair of I don't even I don't even think they were real Air Jordans, but they were something. They were <laughs> they were a pair of basketball <laughs> shoes that were supposed there to. There was be. a guy jumping there somewhere. Then was there? That's what I, your mom told you. <laughs> maybe, or maybe maybe my dad put a sticker on it or something. But anyway, everybody <laughs> wanted to be like Mike, of course, growing up. Sure, and it's funny because for Barcelona, they got when they got rid of Ronaldinho and Deco to not even pave the way for Messi, just out of necessity because their off-the-field stuff and the team after the 06 Champions League was kind of cratering, and Rijkaard had lost the dressing room. Ronaldinho and Deco, it was, it was, it was over. So Mark Ingla at the time, Chiqui Bajirastain, and Ferran Soriano shifted even the commercial focus of FC Barcelona to be all about Messi. And this is a point I also want to bring up, too, about this, this GOAT conversation and the comparison between the two. They have totally different personalities, right? That that Jordan is, again, he's a killer. That guy was trash-talking and wanted to just mentally, emotionally, and physically dominate you in every way. And Messi might be the same on the field in a way, but clearly he isn't that. Messi doesn't like the spotlight. He wants to stay home. And Jordan is the same way. It's why he took almost 20 years to get this kind of footage out and get him to agree to do something like this. Because the way that they are viewed is completely through the sport that they play. There is so little, yes, Jordan, about the, the golfing and, and the gambling, and he played baseball. And there are a, a, lot of, a lot of different things going on with Michael than there is Messi. It, it, it's so incredible to me that the most famous player in the world is also one of the most simple professional athletes that we have ever seen. He is about his family. Everything on social media is completely curated in the way that he goes about his life. And it just seems that he is simple. That he is, I mean, he has more money than <laughs> that. I mean, than I think the state that I live in, but yet he is still a guy that seems relatable just because he just seems to be all about family. So, the, the, the point I'm making here, Frances, is that they are so much larger than life because we commercially view them simply as the figure that represents the sport that they played. So Michael Jordan could be a jerk, but you still wanted to be like Mike because you wanted to be good at basketball. You wanted to be the best at basketball, so you wanted to be like Mike. And Messi, you want to be like Messi, not in a way that he has a family or whatever he does in his spare time, which doesn't seem like he has much, but you want to be like Messi because you want to be the best at football. You want to just look the best when you're playing it, and that's why these two guys just take on the essence of the sport that they played in a way that I don't think any other players ever did. Yeah, of course, and I think that they both reflect you know, the era they lived in. I mean, in the 1980s, 1990s, the world was um, not as politically correct um, as we are today. Um, I think if Messi had behaved now the way that Jordan was behaving then, especially with especially with like bits like the gambling, for example, the, the internet trolls and 
all of that they generate, they wouldn't have really agreed with that. Um, and they would have tried to look for many more loopholes. Also, um, everyone's got a mobile phone these days. You know, so if Messi had gone gambling like Michael Jordan did in the middle of the finals, then that would have been on Twitter, not the next day, not the next morning, immediately. And the moment that a picture of anything or anyone is online, first, you cannot get it away. Second, someone's going to screenshot it. So even if you try to get it away, it's going to be impossible. And anything that any sportsman do now, and especially Messi because of his uh, dimension, isn't it, is going to be everywhere. So I think that, that that's very influential as well. To that point, I just want to mention that so Messi, it, the story goes that he didn't go down to the field to accept that 2006 Champions League final medal. He didn't go down and celebrate with his teammates because he was so upset for not even making the match day squad. And if that, that happened in 2006, and Messi was kind of already the map, and you know Inter Milan and other teams were, were already swimming around and trying to get a, the teenage Messi to, to sign for them. But Messi not going down for that, he admits that that was a mistake. But I think you're absolutely right that Messi, even today, to tell you how different it is from 2006 to 2020, if, if Ansu Fadi were to do that, if he weren't named to a match day squad and he was up in the stands and didn't and doesn't go down and celebrate with his team, Ansu Fadi maybe becomes the headline, right? In a way that just Messi yeah. didn't. It kind of was forgiven. He apologized and we moved on. But even Messi, it tells you that he was such a competitor that even at, as a teenager, he just could not fathom not having been a part of such a thing. So like as much as, you know, Messi is a nice guy, just don't forget that this guy just he has a just a a, a competitive nature to him that cannot be forgotten. Of course, and that goes back to the point you made earlier about the fact that he's he's more manufactured, you know, he's better at advice really. Um he, everyone knows the dimension he's got on the pitch, it's for everyone to see, but also beyond the pitch. I mean, Jordan has got his own brand of clothing, so does Messi. Jordan made the movie. Well, Messi's made the Cirque du Soleil that actually I went to watch in Doha last month. It was pretty good, actually. But he's got his own <laughs> theater musical, which is just insane to think. And uh, it, these people are just, just the best ever in their respective sports. Um, in terms of Messi, he had Andres Iniesta, uh, Victor Valdez, he had Puyol, he had Xavi to lean on. And they, they were educated through La Masia. They were educated and they live by the La Masia values. And you can see it because even maybe Victor Valdez a little bit less. All right. But the other four, even after leaving Barca and retiring and sort of going away into a second, even third stage of, some, of privacy in some cases, they continue to live the same way. You know, I would much rather my daughters, if I had a son, um, it would be the same. But obviously I don't. So I would like my daughters to be a little bit like Andres Iniesta a little bit like Messi, a little bit like Xavi when they grow up because they've got the values that made me fall in love with Barca in the first place. Uh, but I think that over the years, and you know, I'm nearly 40 now, but over the years, I think Barca has become purer and purer and closer to what a great example of, of sportsmanship and, and values and solidarity is in my eyes. And, and, and we'll be really proud of them being that. And, you know, I don't want to finish the podcast on a downer at all but um, we need to go back to those values because the last three four years probably more than that now um, haven't been great but this is exactly what the club represents and I think that's Messi's that's why he's the way he is yeah I agree and I, I wonder yeah and I think that is unfortunate to think yeah not to end on a downer but that the the shadow that Messi will cast when he leaves 
you hope that the likes of Frankie de Young they step up with a voice that it, and in Anderson yesterday that is the greatest testament to him now Xavi is a little more outspoken Puyol would give press conferences sure but the way in which Anderson Yesta, just by being who he was, you could see in his body language that if somebody had told me some awful story about Anderson Yesta and some reaction to a fan or something, there's no way you would believe it, right? I mean, there are, there are guys that you see and you go, okay, like if, and not to... Not to attack Diego Costa, but if you tell me that Diego Costa had pushed an old woman while crossing the street, I go, well, I mean, that's it seems like hyperbole, but also possible if he was in a hurry. But it would have been three women. Whatever you get to Diego Costa is probably going to be less than what it actually was. <laughs> right, and so, but if you told me that Andres Iniesta had pushed pushed a woman while going while running an old, older woman while running across the street, I would say, well, I, he maybe he had a good reason. Maybe he was saving a cat from a tree or, or or two children from a burning building, and you just think of that because of the character that they have. But yeah, I, so I, the final point that I also want to make here about I, I was speaking about Pele, and I think again he is so much part of this argument that. Not that it's funny because from decade to decade, and we've already seen how much basketball changes, right? So a Steph Curry, if Steph Curry had not played in the gen, in the decade that he played in, he isn't Steph Curry because he's not allowed to shoot threes or his ankles are never fixed because the medical, the science that helped him rebuild his ankles the way they did just didn't exist in the 80s. You know, he just, it doesn't happen. So players obviously are, are greatly products of the time that they're in. But I, I think guys like Jordan, Messi and even Pele and LeBron when you talk about the greatest to have ever played these games they would have I think done it in every single generation that they lived in because of course luck matters and a lot has to go right that if Jordan isn't drafted by the Bulls and he doesn't wind up getting the confidence at North Carolina by hitting that shot in the national championship game and all these different things if he doesn't get cut by his high school team to come back even stronger and grow from 5'10 to 6'6 almost overnight if Messi doesn't go to Barcelona and get those treatments the hormone the growth treat growth hormone treatments in the way that he did you know all these things have to happen for these guys to become who they are and it is a domino effect and I understand that but I still think with the talent that these guys had their willingness to work harder than everybody else off the field and to be fully focused on their craft I, I, these guys would have been great in any decade. And again, that goes for Pele, who also played on a really talented Santos team. I want to throw that in there as well, that he had very talented teammates on Brazil and Santos. So it's not like Messi had Xavi and Iniesta, but Pele was alone on an island. That wasn't the case at all. So I, I think, again, we started that conversation saying that Jordan and Messi were our greatest of all time in those respective sports. And I hope that we gave some compelling arguments as to why they were, as to why they embody the sports that they played. And I hope that we did a good job to argue that. Well, Frances, I think when it comes to co-hosts, though, for the Barcelona podcast, I have to say that you are my goat. And I want to leave that on a positive note. Uh, well, I thought I was Pippen, man. I like Scotty Pippen. I- I'll take that. <laughs> well, that. As long as you don't go Dennis Rodman on me, I think we're in good shape <laughs> to see everybody next week for another edition of the Barcelona podcast. So, so much thanks to Ronald DeBoer again for joining us on the show. And thanks to you, the listeners, for tuning in again. You can tap in your app, check out the show notes to subscribe, find us on social media, Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or at HiltonD13 for me. We're on Instagram, being a little more active there, at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group is tbpod.link backslash group. Deeper dive discussions, you want know all that. And the Patreon, we are not making quick take match reviews at the moment. We will when matches come back. Again, you can 
support the show financially, tvpod.link backslash Patreon. And we are on YouTube where I have fun content coming out every week. And I do mean fun content. Even last week, which uh, maybe it wasn't my best, but it was all about how Anderson Iniesta almost went to Rangers in Scotland as Ronald DeBoer did to be a teammate with him. So if you want to know about that, go check out last week's episode. I also have, you can check out the history of the entire club from the start of Juan Gamper back in 1899 all the way till now. I've got topics that are going through the decades and different pieces of history that uh, I hope that don't get forgotten. So check us out there. Hit that subscription button. And thanks again for listening to the Barcelona podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barca. Barca. have a 401k you're not getting the most for retirement wait what add a Robinhood ira on top then they'll boost it by three percent you can do that and if you transfer in any retirement account you get three percent on top of that is there a limit to the match no limit Robinhood gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any ira on the market sign up for Robinhood gold at robinhood.com boost by april 30th subscription fees apply investing involves risk three percent match requires gold for one year from first match must keep ira for five years match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions Robinhood financial llc member sipc